Greetings, Bethel community, and welcome to the first Sunday in Lent. We are now in the six-week period between Ash Wednesday and Maundy Thursday. You may remember that in the past month and a half or so, Pastor Russ and I have been talking about how we were in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany is all about discovering who Jesus is after he's born, starting with his baptism with the voice of God claiming him as God's son, the arrival of the Holy Spirit upon him, and ending with the transfiguration, which was last week, where we saw Jesus on the mountaintop in all his glory. In a way, Epiphany is about discovering the divinity, power, and the glory of Jesus. Lent, on the other hand, is a time where we delve more into Jesus's humanity, going back to the aftermath of his baptism and following him along on his journey towards the cross. Along the way, we are urged to explore our own humanity and who we are as people of God led by and walking alongside Jesus on our own journeys. That's why it's a period of reflection, of renewal and repentance, which means turning towards God. Our first lesson today, which I'm not going to read here because otherwise this recording will be way too long, is Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17, and Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. They kind of cut out a bit in the middle there. If you have time, I encourage you to pause this and read that in your Bibles. It's the story of Eve, Adam, and the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Then come back here and join me for Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, or just keep listening. All right, here we go. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you do not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you all, wherever and whenever you are listening to this. Now, I know very people, few people who consider Lent to be their favorite season. Maybe it's the lack of decoration, especially after we get to Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. Maybe it's the hidden alleluias or the societal expectations that come with the season, like the traditions of fasting or giving up something that we like for six weeks for reasons that aren't entirely clear. 
Or maybe it's because we start Lent with Ash Wednesday and that cringe-worthy proclamation that you are dust and to dust you shall return, which seems so counterintuitive to a people who are conditioned to celebrate that we are made in the image of God and live in the promise of resurrection. There are really two traps that we can fall into during Lent. The first is to turn it into some kind of competition, like who can sacrifice the most? Who can choose the best way to suffer? Who can post the best photos of ash crosses on social media? Bonus points if you go at noon and 7 p.m. Like, maybe if I do this penitence and repentance thing well enough, I'll win Easter. The second is to avoid it altogether. A lot of well-meaning Christians do this by trying to make Lent into something entirely positive. By saying, instead of giving something up, let's take something on instead, like a new prayer practice or a spiritual discipline. And there's nothing at all wrong with doing that. Those are good things that can be very valuable for the building and strengthening of faith. I'm not saying not to do those things. And yet, there's also something valuable in Lent that doing things like that overlooks, something that modern Christianity tends to avoid. And that is the simple fact that we are human. We screw up. We get sick. We hurt each other. We break down. We try and we fail all the time. But here's the thing that tends to cause confusion. By acknowledging these realities, Lent is not intended as a time to beat ourselves up about it. Acknowledging mistakes is not a reason for shame. Admitting failure is not a reason for shame. Needing community is not a reason for shame. Being human is not a reason for shame. The readings for today are centered on temptation. Kind of. We label them with that word, but they're both very different than what we usually think temptation is, which is wanting things. Adam and Eve were put in a beautiful garden and given a tree with fruit that God told them not to eat. Don't eat it, God told them, or you will die. It's not entirely clear why. But no matter the reason, along came the snake, and the snake tricked them. In a world where nobody had ever lied before, where nobody had ever done anything wrong before, where they didn't know what right and wrong were before because they'd never had a reason to find out, Eve and Adam listened to a voice that came from somebody who was not God but claimed to speak for God and fell for it. And then we're whisked forward to Matthew 4 with Jesus in the wilderness. All three of the Gospels that contain this story are clear. Jesus is there because the Holy Spirit sent him there. It's not entirely clear why. I'm pretty sure it's not because he wanted to, not because he had done something wrong and needed to be punished for it, but it happened right after he was baptized and acknowledged by God as God's Son. The very first thing that the Spirit led him to do was not perform miracles, but spend time alone. And here in a place and time where God has never had a son before, and nobody has ever had to face this identity before, someone approaches Jesus and tries to speak for him and tell him who to be. 
Lent is not a time to blame ourselves for being weak. Lent is a time to acknowledge it. And I don't blame anybody for wanting to push back against this. It pretty much goes against everything we prize in society. Strength, independence, self-reliance, and endurance. We're supposed to strive for those things, want those things, see ourselves as failures without those things. Our value, we hear over and over, lies in what we have, in what we do, and in what we make. And Christianity can fall into this same trap. There are plenty of churches that will tell you that you can measure how loved you are by God by how much you have, and that true faith, true Christianity, means being strong and good and productive and a shining example of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians that are often touted as the requirements for and not the results of the Spirit. You are, after all, what you produce, right? And yet. When I was serving as a chaplain in the hospital, I often came across patients with pointed questions about why they were suffering despite their faith. Why did Jesus choose to raise Lazarus, Lazarus, but not my wife? Why would Jesus heal the blind man, but not my cancer? Why, when I pray all the time, does God not answer my prayer? And one thing I learned during this time is that it will never be entirely clear why. I had to leave the questions about why and how to the doctors and the medical staff. But as a chaplain, as a person of faith, I found that there was one question that I could answer, and it started with who. It was often the real question that patients were asking, even if they didn't know it. Who am I? Who am I when I'm hurting? Who am I when I am in pain? Who am I when I can no longer produce, can no longer work, can no longer live or stand on my own two feet? Do I still have value? Am I still loved? Am I alone? These are the questions that Lent asks of us. The seasons of Advent, Epiphany, Easter, and Pentecost are wonderful times. They get us excited. They enliven us. They remind us of the hopeful promises of God for humanity's future and the glory of future resurrection. But our faith would not be complete. Our God would not be all-encompassing if we didn't have the same reassurances when we are stripped bare, just as Jesus was. As he headed to the cross. When Jesus was in the wilderness, the devil told him to save himself, to prove his own strength and create his own comfort. When Eve and Adam were in the garden, the serpent told them pretty much the same thing. And it's tempting for us to listen to that same message until it fails, until we fail. And then we have the message of Lent, that failing is okay. That failing is kind of what people do, but it's not what God does. No matter how weak or how low we get, we are not alone. We are loved. We are worthy. We are children of God made in the image of God, but also made out of earth. Suffering does not define us 
and death does not have final power over us, and yet we still will all experience them, just as Jesus did. I do understand why this makes Lent difficult. There are some years where pain and death are all around anyway, and the last thing we need is a repeated reminder in church on Sundays. Other years, it might be that it's just not the message we need to hear right then because things are good and living into our blessings is also a way to honor God. It's perfectly valid to not be into Lent this year or any year, just as it's perfectly valid to get to Easter and not be able to muster up an authentic alleluia. The seasons of the church don't always fit our personal seasons. But they are here as the church's way of reminding you to store it away into your memory banks for when you need it. That when Jesus was hungry, he was still the Son of God. When Jesus was hurting, he was still the Son of God. When Jesus was alone, he was still the Son of God. When Jesus was dying, he was still the Son of God. When you are hungry, you are still a child of God. When you are hurting, you are still a child of God. When you are alone, you are still a child of God. When you are dying, you still are a child of God. And I'm going to close with a blessing that was written by Kate Bowler from her new book that just came out a few weeks ago called The Lives We Actually Have, 100 Blessings for Imperfect Days. If you don't know who Kate Bowler is, uh, look her up, Google her. She's a professor of the history of Christianity at Duke Divinity School. And when she was in her mid-30s, probably about seven years ago, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And she's written and talked extensively about dealing with the life that we actually have rather than the life that we wish we could have. And so today... I close you with this blessing that's called For When You Want More, which I think is a good one to go along with our theme of times of temptation. Here it is. God, I carry around this incompleteness, this drive for fulfillment that always seems just around the corner. If I only could get it together and find my true calling, my real passion, or the right plan. God, help me. Guide me. What am I missing? Blessed are we who strive earnestly to change ourselves and the world around us, but feel the drag and pull of what won't budge, the weight of all our limited and frail humanity. We carry it with us. Blessed are we, the hungry, in lives that are both too much and not enough, willing to tell the truth to ourselves and to each other that we languish here in what is perhaps the central paradox of our condition, that we, what we hunger for, perhaps more than anything else, is to be known in our full humanness, and yet that is often just what we also fear more than anything else to be fully human and fully loved in all our humanity. That is a God-sized project. Blessed are we, thankful that we can live our human-sized lives in the glad company of the vulnerable and the broken, the imperfect made whole 
in the love of God through Jesus Christ. Maybe it's right to be hungry and stay that way. Amen. And now, if you're still with me, just a couple of announcements. I don't know if you want to hear them, but here they are. We are, as I have said about a hundred times so far in the last 10 minutes, in Lent, which means that we have our Wednesday soup suppers and uh, little worship services. We'll be doing hold an evening prayer. Um, 6 p.m. soup supper, 7 p.m. service. We're combining with Hope Lutheran Church in Atascadero. And this week is Hope's chance to host. They'll be providing the soup and we'll be there for the service. Pastor Aaron will be preaching. Next week is March 8th and it'll be at Bethel, same time, and we'll be providing the soup and I will be preaching. So our theme for this season is one body in the spirit of Christ. And it should be good. We had some Ash Wednesday services last week that I thought were lovely. And we had people from both congregations at both of the services. Um, Let me think. I'm running out of uh, reminders in my head of what the other things are that's happening. We've got Wednesday morning Bible study, as usual, at 11 a.m. in the Fellowship Hall. We've got the middle school youth group on Fridays, same time, same place. And I think that's about it. Otherwise, check the Friday email news. If you're not signed up for that, contact the church office at office at blctempleton.org to get signed up for that. So have a wonderful week, Bethel community. Know that you are loved. May the peace of Christ be with you as you go about your day and the rest of this week.